First of all, I have to applaud your bravery and talent because you know I did a rabbit hole Google search on you when we <laughs> when we decided to do this podcast. I've always wanted to brave the comic stage. And I'm telling you, I did it once. I did an open mic night and I felt more exposed, fully clothed on stage trying to be a comic than I ever did bending over naked for a dollar. So I applaud you for that. It is very, you you know, you make yourself vulnerable, right? But the, the parallels that you talk about, it's, it's, it is very interesting because it is a high. And um, for the longest time, I mean, 19 years old, I don't even know if your frontal lobe is connected at that point. (laughs) What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't. And we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today on Truth Tastes Funny is Christine McDonald. Christine is the author of a new book called Face Value, From Working the Pole to Bearing My Soul. It's out now. Uh, you might have gathered from the uh, title that uh, that she worked for the telephone company. <laughs> um, no, it's not, not the telephone company. She was a stripper. Um, and, um, and I, I just, I want to let, I want to let Christine tell her story somewhat and then, uh, and then jump in with some questions, but, uh, but welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy we connected and we found each other. Yes. Yeah. It's really great to have you here. Um, first of all, tell us about the, the necklace you're wearing and, uh, and why you're wearing it. I wanted to touch on that before we uh, jump in. Thank you. It is a kukui nut necklace. And kukui nut, uh, for those who are not aware, is a symbol of kukui is a Hawaiian word for, um, it means enlightenment. And uh, for those who don't know, because I'm not a household name yet, I'm from Honolulu. I'm from Oahu, which is a different island than Maui, but we are a week after, uh, as we're recording right now, we are one week almost... I think it's to the day of the horrific wildfires in Maui. So I wanted to honor my homeland and where I'm from and uh, also bring awareness and light to uh, what is happening there. And that's that's it. Thank you so much, Christine. And, and there's a reason why I, I br- brought it up right up front. And I think that's because of your... Uh, empathetic nature and your and your uh sensitivity and i think that will play into our uh discussion as we as we kind of de- get into your story but give the audience um a little uh, a little tour of what brought you to this point and to writing the book a little tour how do, how do you summarize <laughs> The trauma. Well, um, I, because of my father's airline career, I don't know if you are old enough to remember Pan Am. Oh, yes. My father was with Pan Am Airlines and uh, we relocated when I was still in diapers to Honolulu. So that is my origin story in a nutshell. 
in a kukui nutshell. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because of some traumas, the cards I was dealt as a child, uh, there was some trauma there. And not to bore you with those long stories, it's all in the book. Um, I ended up having zero self-worth. I had a skin disease on my face. I was covered in over 80% of close to golf ball sized cysts that were filled with blood. So they were purple. Um, my nickname was Freddy Krueger in high school. So because I had no self-esteem and because of the other traumas that compounded everything, I ended up on the stripper stage in Waikiki. And uh, that whole story is all in the book as well. It's a really interesting story. But because I felt validated and beautiful for the first time, I stayed. I was there mm. almost a decade. I mean, imagine being called Freddy Krueger and feeling like you're unworthy of even being in existence of the world. Like I just had these suicidal ideations, um, just never feeling worthy. Imagine having that feeling and being 19 years old and for circumstances just brought me onto that stage. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. No worries. My daughter is now a, uh, a uh, emerging, uh, budding filmmaker. Nice. And, uh, and she wanted to get my phone. She's constantly doing, she's nine. She's constantly doing movies now. And I, love um, it. I want to encourage it, but you know. yeah. <laughs> I get it. No, that I get doesn't it. happen that often where where it actually is an interview that she interrupts, but I guess she's the muse is upon her. So I apologize. No worries. Um, um, I'm just worried about the subject matter, but I know you have a headset on. So yeah, no, she's she, she's yeah. not hearing it. But um, but yeah, but if you would if you wouldn't mind backtrack a little bit and then we'll we'll of course slice it. So Im imagine being um uh, having no self-worth and feeling less than and you never felt beautiful, you never felt uh like you earned a seat at the table in life because of the skin deformity. And I'm 19 years old and I found the stripper stage because of a wet t-shirt contest for the first time in my life. As soon as I got that dollar bill, I was beautiful. I was, I was, I found my home. And so, you know, you have to remember it was the eighties. It was the late eighties. So cocaine was the glamor drug. And all of that was just a perfect storm. The uh, stripping career, lots of drugs, um, that's my story. It's about how I got out of it. Also how I got into it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we certainly on this show, I've talked to a lot of people who have incredible recovery stories. Uh, you know, there's the harrowing part and there's the, you know, and because we're having these conversations, typically uh, these are the better outcomes, right. You know, uh, but if you could touch on, we talked a little bit about it before we started, some of the, cause, cause there are stereotypes of trauma. And I think what happens there is it kind of desensitizes us a little bit. We can put it in a box, daddy issues. We can put it, you know, and we make jokes about it and we can, and we, and, and it, it doesn't really seem real anymore. And I think it's a good time. And certainly on this show to get back to what's some of the, you know, some of the real factors are that, lead to uh you know the that uh lead from the self-esteem issue to you know uh stripping sex work mm -hmm. uh, other other things that are that can prove to be really unhealthy and you know the damage that that does well i can only speak for my story but sure. i will say that the young ladies that i did work with every well you know it's like everything right everybody's got a story and the way that I think about it is um, most of the stories 
have trauma involved when it comes to people that work in the sex industry. That is not to say all of us gals have that story. Right. Um, but I think that the components of, I don't know if you've ever heard the word histrionic. It's, um, yes. it's kind yeah. of a buzzword, right? It's yeah. um, talks about seeking uh, validation for whatever reason. It definitely checks the boxes with my story. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, my understanding of, of histrionics is where, you know, uh, someone will act out in order to get the attention that they, that they crave. And, um, and in many cases, they're creating the drama around their need, um, yes. around their, their need. Um, now, when you were talking about the, the, you know, well, finally some people were paying attention and they were mm -hmm. and get actually paying for my company and all mm -hmm. of that. I can see where that feels great, you know, and yep. having been a performer and a comedian and, and knowing what it feels like to be appreciated from the stage. And there's a lot of that too. Uh, you know, we want, you know, the comedians are very similar in that, in that we, whatever we're filling, it's, you know, it's never enough. And we're, 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 we get high on it. And then we have to come back down to, to real life. So what, what was happening there with the balance between, you know, and then you've also factor in, you know, the substances and stuff, but like, what, what was the, what was the, when did it start to feel like something was wrong versus, <laughs> oh, wow, this feels great. First of all, I have to applaud your bravery and talent because you know I did a rabbit hole Google search on you when we <laughs> when we decided to do this podcast. I've always wanted to brave the comic stage and I'm telling you, I did it once. I did an open mic night and I felt more exposed, fully clothed on stage trying to be a comic than I ever did bending over naked for a dollar. So I wow. applaud you for that. It Thank is very, you. You. you know, you make yourself vulnerable, right? But the the parallels that you talk about, it's it's it is very interesting because it is a high. And um for the longest time, I mean, 19 years old, I don't even know if your frontal lobe is connected at that point. <laughs> I don't think As it a is. parent, I would say it probably <laughs> is a little bit you loose and jiggly at that right? point. So there's an element of uh, life being this exciting, exciting performance. Like it's all about, you know, I talk about this in the book. I was obsessed with Bob Fosse when I was 11 years oh. old. I watched, uh, I snuck it because I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies, but all that jazz. Yeah. Oh Roy my Scheider. God. I, I wanted to get off that island. I wanted to get off Oahu and go to New York and find my way on that Broadway stage and be a Fosse dancer. Well, the stage found me, but it was a different stage. Yeah. But it didn't matter because I felt I I was a performer and I'm going to give them my all. And, and all the other girls were looking at me like when I would play this Led Zeppelin cashmere 12 minute song because a Japanese but bus full of tourists, a uh, bu bus full of Japanese tourists. There's my dyslexia would come in. And that's how you make most of your money with the long songs. But man, the performances I would put on. So that was very, a very difficult adjustment once I started trying to find a life outside once I quit and walked away I was getting um disappointed all the time that I wasn't getting that rush and um of course like you said it it it, it gets compounded with the um with the drug abuse but yeah yeah it was a definite adjustment for sure and and what was the what was the way out for you to the extent of 
you know, okay, so the transition period, what was what was what was going on there? Do you remember being in your late twenties and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be 30 and feel <laughs> like taking an inventory of your life? Like, what have I done? Yeah. I don't own a home, I'm not married, I don't have kids, whatever your story is, when when you're 28, 29, especially when you're a lost soul, like I was, I just felt like I was staring down the barrel of 30. Like I better do something with my life. I don't yeah. have much education. I'm stuck on this Island. I started going on vacations when I was 25, 26. And that's something that really helped propel my motivation to move off the Island. Mm. That in combination with complete burnout from partying every night, for almost 10 years and then realizing I was going to be 30 I just looked in the mirror one night in the dress in the dressing room while I was trying to put my makeup on and I just said I think you're done because I was so hungover I was so burnt out and all the girls behind me in the dressing room when you get a bunch of women together that alone can be annoying yeah. add cocaine to that it's like a little squawking you know? Oh my God. Yeah. So I was, that was my backdrop. And I'm looking in the mirror thinking, I think you're done. And I, and I was, I walked outside and went to a pay phone because there was no cell phones back then. No internet. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And that's what changed it. it. It took me about six months to save up enough money to leave the Island. And, and that's, that whole story is in the book as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to think that, you know, that look, how does it feel? I'll let you you explain. How does it feel to look at that book? When you look at that book cover and you think about where it came from and where you, yes, and I love the cover. It's a beautiful cover. Uh, hopefully the people on YouTube could see it. And then, of course, the easiest way to see it is to buy it is to, uh, what's, the, what's the easiest way to buy it, by the way? Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so you look at that book cover, you know, what's inside it. What, what does that feel like? Surreal, very surreal because I knew that there was a writer in me dying to come out ever since I was writing those poems on cocktail napkins in the dressing room. I also knew that the story that I was living was unique but it really increased when I tried to get a life outside of the stripping world. Um, meaning I didn't realize how unique until, you know, I'm working at an office and nobody's offering me cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, no one's offering um, to a hundred dollars so I could sit next to them in a club and talk to them and like those kinds of things so it's very surreal to see it it just came out in March and uh, I still feel don't I still feel like I'm not a writer sometimes but then I look oh. at it and go, yeah, yeah I did that so, so a cool. little a little touch of imposter syndrome yeah but no but not too much not too much yeah and and what and what else is going on in your world I mean you're a speaker as well uh I like that you say you're a recovering narcissist um my my I, I'm working on a book now called selling the truth and the 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 subhead keeps changing like the tagline or whatever it is the sub the uh the subtitle keeps keeps changing but one of the one of the ones that I'm playing with is uh uh 10 10 knowings uh for a re for recovering bullshit artists because because it's really it, it's everybody's a bullshit artist we're all bullshit artists we tell ourselves 
all kinds of things. It's not just the book is a business book, but it's not just about PR. Um, it's not just about brands. So in your case, um, you know, the recovering narcissist part is something we haven't really touched on because we talked about, you know, stuff that made you feel really bad and stuff that made you feel really good and that wasn't good for you. Um, but narcissism. Let's hear a yes. little bit about about <laughs> that and and being in recovery. Well, thank you. For and that. I mean, recovery of narcissism because yes. recovery of the other <laughs> stuff is implied, but. The, and thank you for that. The the recovery part of can, my dog's collar is driving me nuts. I'm so sorry. That's so, okay. I thought it was mine. I thought it was no, my no, dog. No, no, no. Come here. Yeah. Come here. Okay. So the recovering narcissist came from my brain because it really is a tongue in cheek way of saying I'm a recovering drug addict. Yeah. Because I believe when you are succumbed to whatever toxin you're ingesting and whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat, you become a narcissist. It's all about you. It's your world. Everyone else is just living in it. And, you know, I also say former hot mess and you're right. right. First, I mean, we are, we all have that part of us that is such a bullshit artist. And some of us that's, we're such bullshit artists that we believe our own bullshit. Do you know what I mean? I, yes. I dated somebody yes. who's who's a classic narcissist, and the the empathetic empathetic part of me wanted to sort of help him navigate around his lies, and then the other part of me, the healthier part that was like not so codependent, was thinking, I believe he he really truly believes all these lies. So that's where that came from. And as soon as I came out of the toxic drug world. And I haven't been in that world for about 30 years. I do want to say though, because I'm fully transparent, I still enjoy a glass of wine. I'm not a part of any program. Right. But that being said, I did put the booze on the shelf for a year just to make sure yeah. I was okay. But um, yeah, the, uh, the narcissist part is just a, a way of owning your shit, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, because so much of this stuff is tied to our past, you know, uh, what's your relationship now with the past, with your past, with your childhood, with your, your, your family relationships? After the book has come out this just recently in the past few months, I feel at peace with my past, mm. which is something I've never felt. And also I feel at peace with Hawaii, because I, for years, when you grow up with trauma and when you grow up with uh, anything that sort of derails your psyche, your mental health, it it doesn't even matter that I'm from Hawaii because people say, oh, it's paradise. You're so lucky you're from Hawaii. Well, people don't understand. It was never paradise to me. It was always yeah. this place of trauma. And when I fly home to visit my mom, that PTSD just gets triggered. As soon as I see the island from the plane, I don't feel that way now because my stories are out there. There's nothing to hide. I'm completely vulnerable. I feel like I'm stripping all over again, but way more exposed than I ever was. Yeah. So it's a <laughs> really timely question because it has changed since the book has come out. I'm completely at peace. That's fantastic. I I laugh because I because the line about being more exposed yep. is one that was in your bio and it really jumped <laughs> out at me and I was like, "Oh my god, is that the book title?" because it's such a great it's such a great 
turn of phrase. I could see that being a great title for this episode would be, you know, Christine McDonald is more exposed, you know, than ever or whatever, because that because that just it just resonates and it shows your wit. And, you know, I'm excited to read the the book because I hadn't had a chance to to read it yet, but I am excited to read it because storytelling it's it's interesting because I I I was always very into not into fiction, mm-hmm. nonfiction, in this era I'll call it because I I don't know and but I know that it I know from book sales that it that it is definitely true that there is a a fascination with nonfiction with true stories and I with an emphasis on the true but also a a huge emphasis on story and storytelling. What are your plans now that you've you've got the book out? Uh you're doing shows, you're doing you're speaking. What what's uh what's in the in on the horizon for you? What's next on the docket for my empire? <laughs> what's next on the docket for Christine McDonald? What's next on the new chapter? Uh mm. pun intended. I am working really hard on my social media to get the book out into everyone's hands because as an indie author, um, I have a hybrid publisher. I'm sure you're very familiar with the whole publishing world. So you can either self-publish, which costs an arm and a leg, and you need to have all the connections. You can have a hybrid publisher, which basically you pay a little money up front, but they get 50% of everything, but they have all the contacts, right? And then you could do like Simon & Schuster if you are a real housewife and you have the built-in platform, right? Which is great. So for me, having um, connected with a hybrid publisher, very, very appreciative, very grateful, happy that I went that route, but I'm trying to be my own marketing and PR person. Got it. Yeah. And I'm doing everything that I can to get the story out there. And then the dream is to sell my story to a streaming series or somebody who can tell it in that type of medium where people can visualize and see it. Because I mean, it's 80s, it's cocaine, it's stripping, yeah. it's Waikiki. I mean, it's less than zero meets Miami Vice with more nudity and hairspray. Or is what <laughs> my my therapist, not my therapist, my publisher, how funny that I just said therapist. They made me change it to it's it's um, less than zero meets Miami Vice, but with more makeup and hairspray. With more makeup and hairspray, yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. the goal. The goal is to sell the story to a streaming series, but I do want to start talking to young especially young women, um, even eighth, ninth grade, 10th grade, because that's when people um, start caring, when, when you start worrying what other people think, if you don't fit in, especially in the days now of filters. I want to talk to people that maybe feel like they're not pretty enough. They're not, they don't have value. They don't have worth. I want to share my story. So hopefully they don't need to take the the drastic choices that I did to find their self-worth. And I'm not judging anybody in the sex work industry. No. I support them. I just want people to know that their value is not predicated on whether or not somebody thinks you're hot. Yeah. And that's a, that's just, that's just logical. It's not judgmental. And the, and with the pressures at social media and other, you know, that's another thing, like we were talking about how things become desensitized because they're mm-hmm. overused, you know, social media, social media, we say all these things, TikTok, TikTok, Snapchat, but we, but, but it's, it's a, it's a nightmare in a lot of ways. And it's, and it, and the desensitization that happens among 
young people and parents alike is is really dangerous. So stories like yours, I think, are super important to get out there. When you talked about this, the you know selling it to a streamer, what popped into my head was Jessica Chastain because she's you know she's now in the uh, she's like the she's like today like the Meryl Streep of true stories. You know, she mm-hmm. played Tammy Faye Baker, won an Oscar. Yes. She she uh, she plays Tammy Wynette in the in the miniseries with Michael Shannon, uh, uh, George and Tammy, which is astounding in terms of just the the quality of the filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the and she's a producer, you know, she's this is something that she's uh, uh, been engaged in in a long time. There are a number of 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 producers of that ilk, you know, Reese Witherspoon. And, uh, you know, there are a number of people that are, that are doing stuff like that, but she just has some, there's something about real people mm. and telling real stories that uh, she's exceptional at. Um, well, thank you for the tip. I'm going to start uh, tagging her in my poem. <laughs> yeah. Right. You I, never like her. Know. I, I like her. I think she's awesome. Wasn't she in the, ma- the what is the, um, the, the help movie, the help, the yeah. help. Yeah. 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 No, she's, she's phenomenal. She's one of those people. She was in also Molly's game, which was mm-hmm. uh, where she played Molly Bloom, which is another real life person. And that's another incredible, incredible yeah. film. Um, we should get her on here. We should get her on Truth Tastes <laughs> Funny, get Jessica Chastain on the show and see what we can do to elevate her profile. Um, Our people will call her people. That's right. That's right. Um, well, this has been wonderful. Before we go, is there uh, is there any kind of, uh, I'll give you the floor so you can kind of tie it up in any way you like, but anything you'd like to share with uh, with our audience of, of uh, surviving and thriving human beings uh, getting through a chaotic world? <laughs> well, from one hot mess to another. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Because we all are, right? We are, yes. We all have parts of us that are hot messes. And I think that's where the funny and the fun, and if you have a sense of humor about your story, if you have a sense of humor about your trauma, that will be a life raft for you. It has saved me. My first, the first comedian I saw was George Carlin. I mean, you can't yeah. get any better than that, right? So I say, find the humor in the little things. Find the humor, even if you roll your eyes, like you and I were talking um, before we got on on live. Um, of course, I was going to be a stripper. I have this issue and that. Should, if father abandonment and da da da. Of course, what other chance did I have? That kind of a thing. Yeah. Not it's not to belittle your trauma. It's not to make light of anybody's story. But find the humor. And that will be a life raft for you. And also don't compare yourself. If you feel like you're at a certain age, if you feel like um, you should have a house, you should have this, you should blah, blah, blah. Stop shitting on yourself. Stop comparing yourself. If you're out of bed, you're, you're going to have a good day. And hey, even if you choose your bed sometimes, that's okay too. Like just give yourself a little bit of a break. Don't compare yourself. Find the humor. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.